0: How great they are indeed, church. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm going to read this morning from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. A warning against neglecting salvation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit attributed according to his will. Dear Heavenly Father, let nothing distract us from the fact of how great you are. No amount of of technical issues, no amount of projectors, no amount of any of that stuff. Let none of that distract us from how great thou art. Father, you have given us the amazing gift of salvation despite our wretchedness and our wickedness. Lord, in you we have something that nobody else can say and that is hope. Father, I pray that you be with us this morning, be with this congregation, be with Pastor Chris as he brings the word. May we truly hear what you have to say. May we truly feel and understand and believe what amazing gifts you have given us specifically the gift of salvation. May we not take this lightly. In your great and holy name I pray, amen.
1: Amen. All right, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, diving into the word a little bit, um, kind of as we go. Um, But the first word of Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 1 is the word therefore. Anybody have that English teacher? Uh, What is the therefore there for, right? You have that kind of ingrained in your brain, right? Um, So the question is, what is that there for? Well, it's going to be tying together all the things that we've learned so far in the book of Hebrews about Jesus, right? He is the heir of all things, right? He is the creator of the world, and he upholds it by the power of his word. He is the... um, radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is our Jesus. And then we talked last week about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And we're going to get back to that again next week because right here in the middle of it, right in the middle, God's going to step back and he's going to give us a warning He's going to step back from this proof that he's writing about Jesus being greater. He's going to tell us something that we need to apply to our life, and here's what it is. We need to pay attention. We need to, as the people of God, pay attention. Here's what it says, Hebrews 2, verse 1. Again, you might have to look it up on your own today and get your phones out. It won't bother me um, to kind of go along um, or read it when you get home. But here's what it says in verse 1. Therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So this word attention is going to be central to everything that we talk about today because we're going to sort of make a list for ourselves about what it means for us to pay attention. So, so what is attention? Right. Attention is when you take your mind and you focus it on a singular thing. When you take the distractions away and you let your attention fall on one things. How many of you are pretty good at multitasking? Anybody out there or that you think you are? Right? Where we're really just playing attention ping-pong, going back and forth really fast with those things. Let's multi, let's not not multitask, Jesus. Right? Let's pay attention. Let's let our mind focus upon those things. And this idea of paying attention is something that is all the way throughout scriptures. Nothing doesn't just begin with the author of Hebrews. Let's go back. Remember Exodus chapter 23, where we've been referencing back to Exodus because we studied it for so long. But in Exodus 23, we'll turn back there to verse 13. It gives us this warning about paying attention. Let's see if I can flip there really quick. Verse 13, Exodus 23. It says this pay attention to all I that to all I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let them be heard on your lips. So here's the first pay attention that we need to listen to. Pay attention to what you hear. In other words, pay attention to the word. So if I was going to write it down, I'd say, pay attention to the word. Are we the kind of people that pay attention to what God says? As we go through the book of Hebrews, he's going to say a lot of things. He's going to give us verse after verse to show us how Jesus is the Messiah and all these things. Are we going to be able to pay attention to what he says? But it's not just pay attention to what he says. We often have to do the things that we hear in, in 1 Kings when... Um, God is talking to David about his sons, and he's telling him that there's going to be your sons sitting on the throne forever as long as they walk in my ways. So we have to pay attention not only to what we hear, but we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We have to be able to say, well, God wants us to pay attention to how we walk with him. So not only what does he say, but what do we do? Are we ready to walk in a manner worthy of? of the calling of Christ, is what Ephesians 4 talks about. So are we ready to pay attention? right, let me give you another example of Jesus in John uh, chapter 17. Um, This one is tough. Actually, it's Luke 17, not John 17. All right, Luke 17. And Jesus is going to give some instructions um, to his apostles, to his disciples about how to live. So he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. Woo. Temptations are going to come, but don't be the kind of person that leads other people astray. Right? We're supposed to follow Jesus. That means that if we are in lockstep with him, we're going to walk the narrow path to be who he wants us to be. If you're a leader and people follow you, you're not a good leader if you walk them off a cliff. Right? Good leaders don't lead to death. They lead to life. They make more of the people that are following them, not less of them. Right? So he's given this, this encouragement. He's like, don't woe to those to who lead others astray. And he says this in verse two, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were to cast him into the sea, than that he should lead or cause one of these little ones to sin. Woo! It just got real parents. That if we lead our kids sin, If we lead our kids away from Jesus, that's not, God's view of that is very harsh. We should not be the kind of people that lead the little ones into death. We should be leading them into life. If you're a leader, you need to be leading them into life. It says, verse 3 says, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. What? Are you sure this is in the Bible? Did I read that right? It means that we have to pay attention to how we forgive other people. Let's get real. Let's say that Eric sinned against me and asked for forgiveness seven times in one day, Eric, one day. Talked behind my back beat me up, oh! but he asked for forgiveness. Am I really supposed to forgive him? Yes. Seven times? Is that the magic number? Oh, no. What does Jesus say later on? No. Seven times seven. In other words, don't keep count. Love keeps no record of wrong. But we keep a record of wrong. Oh, this isn't a safe place. I'm the only one in here? Uh, (laughs) Come on. I'm the only one in here that when I see that person I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to walk this way. I'm the only one who does that? Y'all are with me that? Because we hold grudges more than we give grace. Are we the kind of people that pay attention to giving grace without counting the cost? Because we don't want Jesus to keep a record of our wrongs. For the grace that we receive from Him, we distribute to other people in the same way. You want to make a difference for Jesus in the world? Forgive people easily. Don't keep bringing up that thing they did wrong to use into some sort of power against them. Truly forgive them. Husbands, wives, hear me on that one. Don't keep that record of wrong, that thing that you did wrong when you were dating, or that thing you did wrong last night, or that thing you did whatever. Don't keep a record of those things. Forgive. Repent. Whew. Look what the disciples said. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They said, really? We need help with that. (laughs) Give us faith. Help us in that. And the Lord said to them, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Our faith matters. The faith and the trust that we have in Jesus Christ changes the way we interact with one another. It makes us more like Jesus. So we got to pay attention. So that next time that someone shows up and you're like, ew, can't believe they showed up here, check your heart. Check your attitude. Why am I reacting to that person in that way? Have I not forgiven them? Am I holding a grudge against them? Pay attention. Let me give you uh, just a a real life example. Um, How many of y'all have grown up in a Baptist church before? Anybody kind of grown up? Yeah, they had this incredible thing that they used to do. So at First Baptist Church, St. Marcus, they did it. And then First Baptist Kyle, when I was there the day, where they had like the welcome time for the visitors. Do you remember that? Like the meet and greet. And if you were a visitor, you had to sit down while everybody else got up. And that was the worst thing. If you're a visitor, you did not want everybody to know like, oh, this is your first time here, right? And everybody come and visit you, right? Everybody remember that kind of time? We did that. Have you looked around and paid attention to who's around you today? Like, for example, how many of you sit in the same seat every week? Few of y'all, right? Same seat every week, unless you get here late and then there's no seating arranged. So you gotta sit somewhere else. Right? But man, have you paid attention? Have you met the people that are around you? Let's do it. You got one minute, all right? If you're a visitor, don't stay sitting down. Stand up, okay? be like, yeah, that's what it said. No. Stand up, okay? You got one minute. Ready? Go. Stand up. Meet some people. If you, haven't got, if you don't know their names, say hi. Good morning. good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Totally dissed you. I got you. Good morning. i Ray. What's up, Ray? Good, good <laughs> to meet you, Ray. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sinner. All right, all right, all right, I know, I know you guys, I know you, this will just keep on going, all right, we got hamburgers to get to in a second, all right. So you got to meet, how many of y'all were like, this is the Sabbath, I only took one step? Like you... (laughs) You didn't travel anywhere. You're like, I just met the people around me and then stood there and hoped someone would come say hi to me, right, And there. But, yeah, it's kind of fun to say hi and meet people that you've seen before, maybe you haven't met. But let me ask you this. If I were to give you a quiz, would you remember the name of the person you just met? In other words, did you pay attention? Did you just like, hi, 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 somebody's name is echoing in the background, right? Like, do we really spend time listening? Remember that? Being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get the idea of what we're gonna say next in our head before we listen to it? that sort of stuff. Like, what if we were able to know the names because we paid attention? Paying attention is so vital. To us in our lives. we live in an age of attention distractions, uh, multitasking, scrolling. Where in one minute we've seen about 60 Instagram posts or Facebook posts. Or how many of y'all, your wife? Oh, I shouldn't say my wife. Okay, I'll just go with it. Right, your wife sends you a text that's like scrolling text. Anybody got that text? Right. Sorry, honey, if you're watching online. All right. Do you read all of it? Or you just kind of skim it for important information, dates and times, right? Because my wife's on the Mac, she's typing it out on there, and I'm on my phone, like in my eyesight. I mean, we have, we have an attention problem, and, and you know this. If you sat down to read the Bible, hmm, squirrel. Oh, there's a bird outside. That's really pretty, Oh yeah, pay. Cl- you know, I should pay attention. You know something else? Oh. Man, you know what should pay attention? Colin should pay attention. I need to text him. And, to, and Colin likes to scuba. Oh, scuba dive. I remember when I used to scuba dive. I got a video of that. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, the Bible's over here and your mind is somewhere else. It's so hard to stay in the word because we have an enemy that wants to distract us, wants to lead us astray. That's why sometimes you gotta take the Bible, leave your phone behind to go somewhere else. Leave the world behind to be able to focus and pay attention. To the world. listen, I'm as guilty as you are. Last night, the giants didn't show up, the Eagles just crushed them. I spent multiple hours watching football last night. What if I'd have spent those multiple hours in the Word? And that would have been been sweet. That would have been great. But I let my mind be distracted. I, I pretended like I had my Bible here, but the game's on. Right? And you're kind of peeking, one ear is here, Wait, We have this we just have this way in our world today of being distracting, it's deadly, texting and driving, you name it, all these things that happen, they're going to lead to our death unless we take a step back and pay attention. And that's what the author's warning us. Therefore, we must pay attention, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. So lest we drift away. I'm guessing the screen's on or else y'all are just staring at it. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Like, all of a sudden everybody went, whoop, like, that was cool. Um, Drifting. Now listen, by def- it's interesting that he uses this word drift. He's using this word picture for us because drifting is slow and subtle. right? Like a boat on the water, it's slow. Without even noticing, if you're in the middle of the ocean, you don't even realize that you're drifting. And it's something that, have you ever been in this situation as a Christian where you stop all of a sudden and go, wait, how did I get here? Or have everybody been in the beach where you're playing out in the water, right? And then you look back at the shore and you're like, Where's my stuff? Oh, it's 50 yards down that way because the current begins to make us drift. What is the current in our world that makes us drift? It's the culture we live in and it's the philosophy of the world. The two things that lead us, that make us drift are the culture we live in and the philosophy of the world. And we're gonna see the scripture t- talk about that in a second, but let's talk about culture real quick. Because we live in a culture that has poured into our life things that are not of the Lord. And the question is what is our soul anchored to? Are we anchored to Jesus? Or are we just floating along to see what happened? You know, I read a book recently by Carl Truman called A Strange New World. And in that book, he describes our culture today as being plastic people living in a liquid world. In other words, we're plastic people because we think that we can remold ourselves into some other mold and that's gonna make us happy. Instead of celebrating God's design, instead of celebrating the way that God has made us, instead of thinking, oh, God maybe made a mistake in making me, no. We celebrate how God has designed us. Instead, our world today wants to turn up the heat and remold ourselves into something different. You know what's scary about that? Plastic people are really brittle. They break easily. And the more that we try to remake ourselves into something else to make us happy, the more and more brittle we get. And that broken arm that breaks off, we take it and beat other people over the head because they notice it. We have to be warned our culture today is a plastic people living in a liquid world. We have nothing solid to anchor ourselves to when we believe the world, but we have something solid, we have Jesus. So the question is, are we ready to anchor our souls to Jesus? Because even though the current tries to pull us, the anchor will keep us solid. Are we ready to de- that means we have to have depth with the Lord means that we have to let the anchor of God, the anchor of our soul, get totally saturated with Jesus. Are we ready? Are we just going to let ourselves drift away? The philosophies of the world, these things that are brought into our hearts and our minds, the things the world teaches us are going to lead us astray. Let's read an example of that. I'm in Ephesians chapter 4. It's going to give us an example of of these teachings At work. Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's what we're doing every time we come to this place. The purpose of Sunday morning is to equip the saints. Our goal is to come worship a Lord who is worthy of our praise, and then, secondly, get ready to go out into the world and be his workers, to be his ambassadors to the world, to do the works he's prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's our goal as believers in Christ. So to equip the saints until we have all, have all attained to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Our goal is to be mature Christians equipped to go into the world. And then it says, um, to the measure of the statue Stature of the fullness of God. That our goal is not only to be equipped or to be mature, but is to be like Jesus. That immaturity in the faith means that we're more like Jesus. So we handle the situations like Jesus would handle the situations. That when he sees the broken, he's drawn to them. When he sees the children, he's drawn to them. That he has a love and a compassion to care for others, but he's not afraid to challenge the authority when they're not right. This is Jesus who we want to model ourselves after. So that, verse 14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We don't want to be led away by the enemy's schemes, by other people's tricky words. We don't want to be led away by those things. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That Christ is the head of the church. So we don't follow me. Follow Christ. Follow the word like this. Don't base your abilities on a human being that isn't named Jesus, that isn't fully God in the flesh. And it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, that our goal is to be built up in him. And this is what it means. We have a tendency to drift. Let me, let me give you an example. We have a tendency to sometimes to drift away, even in our thoughts during a sermon. Even in our thoughts during worship, we have a tendency to drift, or even in our attendance. Um, there's a statistic out there in the church world that says, if your church is over 80% full, people won't come back. Like, people will turn away because it's too full. Like today, it's, it's pretty crowded in here. And you're like, oh, man, there's not many seats left. I might have to sit in the front row. Thanks for coming down. Sit in the front row, right? Um, so it's a little scary to be up here. Right? I mean, use an analogy or something like that, right? Um, question, if 100 more people showed up next week, would you still stay? What if next week you came up and we took all the chairs out and it was a standing-only service, would you still come? What if we didn't have any coffee? Woo! Get behind me, right? You're like, what? No coffee? Like, do you come to church for an experience to worship the Lord, or do you come for other purposes and other reasons, right? I mean, we could fit 1,000 people in here. That would probably not be safe. But um, we could fit all kinds. You should see what the youth look like in here on Wednesdays without chairs. It's a wild, crazy, fun place, worshiping the Lord. Don't let something of the world get in the way of you following Jesus. Don't let your comfort, don't let the sins of other people in this room get in the way of your worship of Christ. Pay attention or else we're going to drift. And before we know it, we're going to be like, where are we? So there's two real kind of keys, I think, to staying anchored in the Lord. Here's the first one. You need a reference point. If you want to stay solid, you got to know, you got to pay attention. Like you're, you're in that current on the beach and you see your umbrella right there, right, and you see yourself drifting, you adjust yourself back because you have a reference point. What is your reference point for following Jesus? Is it the example of Jesus? Find a reference point. Here's the second thing. You got to stay grounded. You know the reason you drift in the current when you're at the beach? Because you take your feet off the ground. Because you float around, you take steps, you walk, and it begins to gently push you. Because if you keep your feet on the ground, they start getting sunk down deeper and deeper and deeper, right, in the sand. So we need to make sure that we're building our foundation. We have a reference point, something to keep us on the straight and the narrow. Too often, our anchor looks like this. It's a boat with an anchor halfway down. And we have the appearance of godliness, but none of the stability. We have this appearance, hey, they got their anchor down, but we haven't gone deep enough. And so the winds of the current push us away. People, we don't, we don't keep our reference anymore. We don't have people around going, hey guys, I think we're drifting. We don't have that accountability, and before we know it, we get outside of where God wants us to be. Are you ready to go deep? The, the deeper the valley, the deeper you gotta go with your faith in Christ. So are we ready? To do that, or beware because we're going to go through hundreds and hundreds of scripture throughout the book of Hebrews. Are we going to be able to pay attention? And then it says this in verse 2 For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, so he's going back to this angel motif that we had, and he's saying this they've been the Hebrews have based their life on the law, on the Torah. What Moses spoke and what God gave to Moses on the mountain, they've built their life upon it. So much so that they're like literally going to H-E-B, coming home and taking 10% of the pepper and tithing it to the church, right? They're literally that involved and, and intergrained into the law in their life. And so he's saying, he's going to make a little proof for them here, a little mini proof. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. In other words, when Gabriel comes and tells Mary that you're going to be with child... She was child, right? When, they, when the Micah says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem, right? Or, for example, Psalm 78 says that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to teach in parables. And how did Jesus teach? In parables, right? And so you see all these incredible things from the Old Testament proved true. So since the words of angels is reliable and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution, here's what it says. Do you believe that God is just? Careful before you agree. If he is just, that means the wages of sin is death, but the glory of God, Christ came. This is the gospel, that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all mess up. And and if we're guilty of one sin, we're guilty of all of the book of James says. But if the wage of sin is death, someone had to pay that price for us. And in steps Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to live without sin, and then all for himself for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising his shame to give us eternal life if we have faith in him. This is the gospel message. If God is just, then when we sin, we fall short. And that's the case that he's making to them right now. Then he says this in verse three: How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, if we know the wage of sin is death is going to be required of you, and you just pretend like that didn't happen, you just ignore it, what's going to happen to us in the end, we're going to fall short. We're, we're not going to get to go to heaven. We're not going to spend eternity with him because we neglect him. Now, neglect is a really negative word, isn't it? I mean, think about it. If I were to say, yeah, I neglect my children all the time, that would not help my reputation right? Oh, I neglect my wife all the time. Because neglect, in it says, I refuse to pay attention, right? Neglect is not paying attention. If I saw my kids run into the w- road, and I'm like, I turned the other cheek, that's evil. Instead of running to rescue them, instead of running to save them, even putting myself at risk for them, that's love. Evil is neglecting others, pretending like that thing didn't happen, How can we be saved if we neglect our relationship with Christ? How can we be saved if we neglect his word? How can we be saved if we don't love other people? How can we have such a great salvation? We know that God is just. We know that we fall short. We know that we need a savior. We know that Christ has called us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to have the daily bread of being his. We know these things. Let's not ignore or neglect them. Let's step in and pay attention. See, we think, well, I mean, I just have, I've just been in the Word a lot. I, I haven't done too much. And we think we're fine, but really we're just drifting. When we don't put our stake in the ground, we don't put ourselves in that ability to stand firm, we're drifting. There's, there's no standing still. You're either paying attention or you're neglecting. And that's what this is warning us. How can we be saved if we neglect such a great salvation? If we're too nervous to give our lives to Christ because we think people are going to judge us. Like, I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've been at, at youth camps, okay, and it drives me crazy, right? Um, and they're like, okay, everybody bow your head, close your eyes, nobody look, nobody look. If you, if you want to accept Jesus, really slowly look up and do that. I'm like, what? If you want to give your life to Jesus, like, jump up and run down the aisle. Right? Security tries to stop you. You're like, no, I'm giving my life to Jesus. If you can't stand firm in that setting, how are you going to stand firm in the world? If you can't proclaim Christ here, how are you going to do it in your workplace? If you can't pay attention to Christ and what he's saying and let it change your life here, how is that going to play out in your home, your job, in the community? This is a place where we have to practice being bold for Christ. Pay attention to the way that we live. Don't neglect it. And then he says this. So then he gives us the idea of how God reveals his word to us. Look what it says next. It says, it was declared at first by the Lord. So in case you forget, right, he's reminding them, they thought the angel had brought it and they liked to worship angels. No, no, no. God is the one who spoke. right, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. God gave the scripture to us. And his word is reliable. Proverbs 30 tells us, I think it's verse 4, verse 5, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Do you believe that? Every word of God proves true. That means that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Even the really, really hard stuff. That means that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Neither life nor death, angels or demons, height, anything can separate. Nothing can separate. No one will snatch you. Out of his hand. Do we believe that? Do we have that security? Why do we worry? It happens. And listen, I'm preaching to myself too. Because as you study this um, and you get ready for this, man, I got slapped in the face this week. You know, I know. Hey, pay attention. Be grounded. And man, this week was hard. I had a hard week. There's times this week that I hated myself. Just did. It's a struggle that I face a lot. and And I just... I lost. I had some L's this week. I paid attention and I watched myself lose. (laughs) You can still lose paying attention. And I had to constantly remind myself to come back to the scripture. What does God say about you? What does God's word say about you? You're made by him. Your faith is in him, not in yourself, not in your own strength. Sometimes we take the L. But do we repent? Do we turn back to him? That's the question. So it's delivered to us. By the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. In other words, the prophets, who are the people that we get to use the words of the prophet for our proof, the prophets testify to what God said to them, the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophets. So there's these mediators, that word's gonna show up a lot through the book of Hebrews, that were the example of God's word coming out to the people. But not only that, But then, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, that not only did God speak and tell others to say what he said, but he came in the flesh, and Jesus was amazing. Have you read some of those stories? He healed the blind. He healed the leper. There's 10 lepers that came to him, and he healed them all. Only one of them came back to give him praise. We see the paralytic through the roof. There was no room in the house, but yet his friends ripped off the ceiling and lowered him. And God said, your sins are forgiven. And then said, oh, to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. And this paralytic never walked before is jumping. Remember the man by the gate, beautiful, jumping and leaping and praising God? That God proved himself through the things that he did when he walked on the earth. And then gave it to the apostles to show the power of His will. And not only that, so not only did God speak, not only did he give us mediators, not only did he come in the flesh to show us, but he's given you gifts. He says, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. That now he's given you gifts that you can use to go out into the world and proclaim how great thou art. That we go out and use the gifts. Let me give you an example of some of those gifts. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We won't do a whole sermon on gifts, but let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Look at some of these gifts to see, you know what? I'd like to serve. Maybe that's a gift that God's given you. I like to teach. Maybe that's something God has given you, the gift of being able to do. Look what it says in verse 3, because this is where it always starts, especially when it comes to gifts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, that God has assigned. Whoo, that's so good. If you have been gifted by God, it's not for you. Don't think too highly of yourself. It's for the good of the church. It's for the good of those that are around you. For as in one body has many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one in body in Christ, and individually members one of the, one, other, one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Is that you? Do you love to just give and and be around people and like do those things? Maybe that's a gift the Lord has given you to share with other people. Maybe you just like love to serve. Maybe you love to just be compassionate and help people walk through that do it with cheerfulness. Use those gifts for the glory of God, for the good of the body of Christ out into the world. So here's the author's warning to us. Here's God's warning to us. Pay attention to how we live. Don't let ourselves drift or become ineffective, but use our gifts for his glory. All right, let's do it. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the way that you speak, the way that you encourage, Lord, the way that you have given us gifts, Lord, to make more about you. Lord, many people in this room have the gift of evangelism. Lord, I pray that they will go out and share the good news of the gospel this week. Many in this room, Lord, have the gift of service, Lord. Help them this week to have joy in serving. Lord, many people in this room are leaders, they leaders in their companies and leaders in their home and, and leaders in many different ways. Lord, let them do it with zeal, having a passion for making you known. So Lord, as we get ready to go out into the world, equip us and encourage us, help us to pay attention and not drift away from you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I want to invite you guys, those of you who uh, this would fit really well, uh, we have a special PATH group that just started. It's led by our own Keith and Dima Henson. It's called Grief Share, and it's for, specifically this one is for widows and widowers, and there is a uh, stack of brochures and uh, uh, little flyers that look just like this on the table in the back. Uh, so w- for widows and widowers, we love to just uh, love you and support you in this. Uh, this this takes place on Monday evenings, and it just started, so it's perfect opportunity for you to jump right in, grab a brochure on that. Also, Quilk, I want to let you know uh, we have discovery class going on today. It's during the third service, the third hour, uh, starts at 11:30. So if you've been coming to our church for a while or you just started. Here's an opportunity for you to learn a little more about what Fellowship Church is like. And it's a time for a couple of us pastors just to kind of get to know you a little bit more. We would love to do that. Uh, So that's in the blue room. So in the back there uh, during third service and lunch is provided. And speaking of lunch, I smell hamburgers and I'm starving. I don't know if you are. But uh, we got hamburgers outside. They are ready for you to pick up. This is for our Honduras trip, which is during spring break in March. Uh, We got 25 people going. And uh, so this is our hamburger, not sale, but grab a burger. And we got a jar for you to put some uh, cash in or whatever and to help us out uh, donations for our trip. We really would uh, appreciate that. Um, That's all I had today. But I want to leave you with this. I love this verse, Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful, right? Amen. You're dismissed. Go get you a burger.